The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. More information about the church is available at www.gracefcwesterville.org. So as we begin this mini-series, I've titled it Living in the Storm. So we have our study in the book of John. This morning, we begin a little mini-series in it called Living in the Storm. And the title this morning is Intimacy of a Holy Relationship. So John chapter 13, verse 1, we read, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were with him in the world, he loved them to the end. Now to many, the gospel of John John is a deeply holy place. Many consider it the most spiritual of the gospels because of its intense writing to his people, to his own. For here, more than in any other portions of Scripture, you hear the voice of Jesus leading his followers, preparing his followers how to live in Christ, how to have a personal relationship right there in his last few hours together, and then until he comes again as he goes back to heaven. Chapters 13 through 17 contain teaching about heaven, the new commandment, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, the mutual union of Christ with the disciples and the disciples with Christ and prayer. So what can we possibly compare chapters 13 to 17 to? And the only thing I think that we can call them is love letters. It's a love letter from Christ to his own. It's a special message, a special lesson, a special teaching to guide each one of us through our daily lives. So that means that these truths, as I said already, are really for his own. And again, my prayer is that if you've never trusted Christ, that you will see the amazing relationship that he has in store for those who trust him. Now, we know that this is individually because, or for his people because it was delivered in the upper room privately to the disciples. And uh, we are his bride. Uh, It is entirely fitting, and we should expect then, that his loving, touching, tender message should be directed to each one of us. So let's look at an introduction to what is to come over the next weeks together. And let's begin by looking at, the first of all, that we are his own. It's not surprising in view of this special nature of these chapters that the verse that begins this section makes the contrast between those that are Christ's own and those that are not. In fact, probably in a greater detail than other books. Now, I know it's touched upon similarly in Romans chapter 9 and 10 and also Ephesians 2, and it's also referenced in the Old Testament in various places. But nowhere is the contrast clearer and the categories involved more absolute. Here in the first verse of chapter 13, we are introduced to the ones who were Christ's very own. So again, as we go forward this morning in this, in this introduction, if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, you are his own. And these messages are designed specifically with you in mind. So whatever you've come in with this morning, whatever struggles or baggage or whatever problems, whatever it is right now that's clouding your mind and keeping you from focusing, 
I would ask you just to put it aside and to listen to what the Savior has to offer you this morning. But the messages are designed for his own. In fact, it's very clearly seen in John chapter 17 and verse 9, where he's, when Jesus is praying to the Father and he says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Understand that you and I are a love gift to Jesus from God the Father. We are literally a love gift that has been given to him. And one, uh, one translation actually ends verse 13 by saying, he now showed them the full extent of his love. So chapters 13 through 17 are a pouring out of the passion of Jesus as he wants them to know clearly. Now, again, who are Christ's own? Well, the answer has already been given in John's gospel, but let me just refresh for you. John chapter 6, verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. You and I are a love gift. John chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Who are those who are his own? They are the ones Christ died for. Chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Chapter 10, verse 15. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So we know as Christians that the reason we're Christians is because Jesus Christ died on that cross. He suffered. He died. He went into the ground, was raised, defeating uh, death, and sits at the right hand of the Father for you and I. But when you really think of his words here, it literally says that he laid down his life. You, specifically you this morning. Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, willingly laid his life down for you. You begin to understand the intense love, the deep passion and love he has for each one of us. Every person in this room, he laid it down willingly for you. It also says that they were, as chapter 1, verse 13 says, were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, we had no will on our own. He quickened us. He made us a life. He gave us the understanding to understand him and to accept him. And one of the great parts about this, those that are his own, they are the ones who are secure. Now, do you worry from time to time about your security? Have you accepted Christ as your personal Savior, but you wake up the next morning and go, but am I really saved? Did I, did I really do it? And so you pray all over again? And you pray all over again? I know my sister did that for years and years before she finally said, that's not faith. I'm trusting you and I'm moving on. But listen to what he says in, in chapter 10, verses 28 through 29. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my Father's hand. My Father who has given them to me 
is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And you know what? Not even yourself can snatch you out of the Father's hand. Once saved, always saved. So what is the world he's talking about here? Well, the world is the human race out of which Christ has called them. And if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are included in all of this. Now, we need to stop feeling frustrated about the bad things that are happening in this world and start rejoicing in the amazing grace of who we are. I mean, the world is bad. And if you read this book, it's probably not going to get any better. Sometimes Christians live like this is their, where they're going to be forever. But it's not the case. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of the tragedies, in the midst of the trials, resting in Jesus Christ can give us an amazing help, an amazing joy, because we know our future. And we know that no matter what happens in this world, we will be with him forever. And that is the peace that stabilizes us in a very difficult world. Now, the distinction, what are the distinctions because of all this of being his own? What sets us apart? I've listed six things. There's tons more. But let me just qualify these six things for us. Number one, Jesus specifically loved those who are his own. This is how the section begins in verse 1 of chapter 13. Jesus says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He ends this whole section in John chapter 17, verse 26, by saying, I made known to them when he's praying to the Father. He says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. You see, Jesus' work in you never ends. I mean, listen to that again. He says that the love with which you have loved me. In other words, God the Father, the love that you love me the Son, I have made known to them. And what does he say here? That, that I have loved, excuse me, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So the very same love and passion that God the Father has to the Son Jesus is praying that that same love will radiate in you and I. Can you think for a minute what that must look like? Can you think for a minute how much God the Father loves the Son? And here the Son is praying that that same love would be in you and I? Is there ever a reason for you and I to doubt or to be afraid? His love is empowering. His love is strong. And Jesus is praying that that would be strong in us. God loves the world, but there is a special, intimate, keeping love for those who make up the church. And while this undoubtedly gives some special privileges to those that are owned, it also gives us special responsibilities. For if we are loved, we are also to love. And in this lies the basis of the new commandment that Jesus gave. He said in chapter 13, verse 34, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, notice, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Now, how did Jesus love us? 
How did Christ really love us? Well, he loved us sacrificially, right? He loved us with a servant heart. He said the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. He doesn't judge. You remember as we looked at, at the, uh, the adulterous woman and when all her accusers left and he looked at her and he said, I don't accuse you either. And today, living in this age of grace, he's not accusing us. He came to save the world, not to judge the world. Judgment will come, but right now we're in the age of grace. And the amazing truth that you and I know is that we are to love each other with that same unjudging love. Now, one of my great frustrations is how we're so quick to judge the world. You know, we're quick to condemn. What is the one thing the world says about the church? We're hypocrites. Because the word tells us to love, yet we don't love. It's often said that Christians are the only ones that shoot their wounded. You've heard that before. When you see the world acting the way they do, you see the lifestyle they live, you see that the things they push for and put, do you understand that they're doing what comes natural? You and I are to love them with the truth. Go into all the world and love them with with Jesus Christ. That's the way Christ came to us. So my whole identity now is wrapped up in what Jesus thinks of me, not what the world thinks of me. And if the world condemns me, okay, I I understand why you're condemning me. Because you don't understand the truth. Let me share the truth of love. And let me be a witness. That is the key. And so he's praying that we would love just as as he loved us. Now, this number two, Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. I love this part. We are not told a great deal about heaven or what awaits us there, but we are told that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us and that he's coming back for us. John 14, verses 2 through 3, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, there you'll be also. Do you realize that's what awaits us? Just think, your eternal lodging is under construction right now. Think about that. Your eternal lodging is under construction right now. Jesus has gone to to prepare a place for us. And he is coming back to take us there. Boy, if that doesn't encourage you, I don't know what else can. Number three, Jesus has sent a replacement in his absence, the Holy Spirit. During these last discourses that John is writing about, uh, they are being told of the masters leaving them, and the disciples are troubled. They're, they're fearful. And he tells them, therefore, that he is sending someone who will guide them through their life to come and will give them the strength and the encouragement that he needs. Chapter 14, verses 16 through 17, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You will know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit 
will do for you and I what Jesus was doing for the disciples when he was here. That same Spirit is in us. Chapter 14, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have told you. So we have been given a care package that will guide us into every decision of our lives. Problem is, we're not listening very often to what he's doing. But that Holy Spirit is within us. John chapter 16, verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. (coughs) For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. So the amazing guidance that we have, are you making yourself available to the Spirit? I mean, this is one reason why we talk about the exchange life, because I think all of us have proven clearly in our own lives we don't have the ability to live the Christian life. It's beyond us. But the Spirit that He has given us, when we surrender to that Spirit, lives through us. And now we're living our life in the power of the Spirit. And that's the whole point here. Uh, John 16, verses 8 through 11. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So the Holy Spirit has been given to guide you and I into all truth and guide us in every decision and area of life. That's what Jesus has given us. And if you've accepted him as Savior, he dwells within your heart. Number four, and this is, this is a great one. We are each commissioned for a specific work. Every person in this room, every person in this room has been commissioned to a specific service. John 15, verse 16. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide or remain. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So according to this verse, each of us has a spiritually fruitful work to perform. This is the life we were designed to live. So are you living it? Or is your lifestyle one of just coming to church on Sunday morning and leaving and going about your life? Every person has been designed and equipped to serve God in a very unique way. A very unique way. And we see it throughout this church with the amazing people who just come and serve in many ways. You, you don't even see them, what they do during the week. And, it, and it's so exciting during the week to, to hear the door buzz open and, and see people come in and <clears throat> I may walk down and I can't find them and I wonder, well, who came in? And then I flip on the switch and toilets are being cleaned. Carpets are being vacuumed. Someone else is out witnessing to someone else. It, it's a joy when the church of Jesus Christ serves together and all of us have been equipped for a specific service. Number five. The Lord intercedes and prays for us. The whole of chapter 17 bears this out. Here, 
here are just some of the things that we're going to see in chapter 7 that the, whole, that the Lord is praying for us. Because chapter 17 is him praying to, to his father about the church, those that are being left behind. And here's what he prays for. First, that we might be kept from evil. Jesus is praying that you'll be kept from evil. Now, he's not praying that you'll be kept from troubles or trials. That's just part of life. We live in a sin-cursed world in sin-cursed bodies. Troubles will come. But he's praying to protect us from evil. Number two, that his joy would be fulfilled in us. Let me say that again. He's not praying that you will have a joyous life. He's not praying that you'll be happy and joyful. He's praying that his joy will be full in you. You ever see somebody who's confronted with a very difficult trial in their life and it just seems like the bottom's gone, yet they're smiling and rejoicing? That's the joy of the Lord. Because their joy is in him, not this world. My faith is in Christ, not myself. And difficult things will happen for sure, but when I'm trusting him, his joy floods over me. And it doesn't matter how people treat me. It doesn't matter what they say about me. Of course, if they're right, I need to make changes. But my joy is in the Lord. And Jesus actually prayed to the Father that his joy would be filled in us. Third, that we might be sanctified by the Word of God. That reading, being in the Word of God, would sanctify us, wash over us, cleanse us. I was speaking to a gentleman this morning before church, and he shared about something that happened this week where he was under attack, and it immediately took him out of his spiritual life. Made him angry. And how he came home, opened up the Word of God, and the the Lord provided a verse that washed him and drew him back. That's the sanctification of the Word. And that's provided for all of us. He's also praying that we might be one. Now, I've said this before, but you never can say it enough. One of the greatest witnessing tools of any church is unity. When God's people are unified, it is an amazing testimony to the world. In fact, Jesus prays in John chapter 17. He says, he prays, he says, Father, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one, so the world may know that you sent me. Literally, from the lips of Jesus, unified, just like Jesus and the Father are unified, when you and I are unified, the world knows he sent you, sent Jesus. Why? Because they're seeing something that's not very prevalent in the world today. Unity is an amazing witness tool. When you and I walk together in love and witness er, and compassion with one another and in unity, the world will beat a door, beat beat a path to this door because they want that. Unity is an amazingly powerful testimony, and Jesus made it very clear right in his own prayer. And then he prayed that we will be with Jesus in heaven one day. And and, and this is just an amazing truth. Do you realize that right now Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, he is praying you right through this world into eternity. Do you realize that? He is praying for us right through the rest of our lives into glory. 
Stop and think about that sometime, especially when you're frustrated with something that's not good. And know that Jesus Christ is praying for you at that moment. And that's what John 17 makes very clear to us. That we would be with Jesus one day in heaven. And of course we've seen as he, as he has gone to prepare a place for us. So if that's the case, that if he's praying for us, then number six, we are to pray. Chapter 16, verses 23 through 24. In that day you will ask anything of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy might be full. That's for you and I, folks. And these are the themes we will be developing in the coming weeks together. And the... This will lead us to that final message at the end of the book. But all of this that's being prepared for you and I, all of these things that Jesus has put together is for you and I, and we're going to see these in the weeks to come. So up to this point, we have seen that while God has done some amazing things for all men, he has, in addition to this, done very specific things for us. He has done some things for all but he has done all things for some. And you and I, as the children of God, are the recipient of all things. Now, I don't know how I can emphasize this enough because all of us have experienced frustrations and bad decisions and bad choices and mistakes. And I mean, life is full of that. But when you realize that he has lavished all things on us, the only thing that separates the average Christian from a settled-for life and a life of victory is just absolute surrender to the Spirit. When you and I come to the place of total surrender, then that Spirit can take off because now you're no longer hindering it. And if you will commit to faithfully attending each week over these next weeks, as we unpack these truths, I guarantee you by the authority of this book that you will find the direction in the peace that you're looking for. And I can promise it, not on my ability, right here. If you will surrender to the Spirit and let His work work in your heart, you will be transformed. And I'm not just speaking to the unsaved. I'm speaking to Christians. Christians need to be transformed. Christians need to be changed. So that brings us then to my point C, and there's just no explanation for it. We must understand that love is unexplainable. For if we go on to ask, why did God love us? There's no answer to be given. Obviously, we are not loved because we're lovable, for we're not. And when we look at the matter from the human perspective, we may, we may uh, be lovable to somebody, but not to all. And there's nothing in us to make us remotely desirable to God. He is holy, we are unholy. He is just, we are unjust. He is loving, 
we are filled with hatred in all forms of sin. But if you think you are unlovable because of your past, what you really are saying is God is just not God enough for me. Because there is no person so bad, no mistake so wretched, that the love of God can't change your life. Nobody. And I know there are a lot of people, and I think there are some here today, who have that feeling that, yeah, but if you knew my past, God wouldn't. Get it out of your mind. Jesus' death on the cross is greater than any sin the world can offer. And he will transform your life if you let him. In short, we are a sinful and and willful rebellion against him, yet he loves us. In fact, this is such a marvelous truth that Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 6 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In your most wretched, horrible state, he died. The literal Greek here means that he commended his love toward us. And commend means praise, compliment, congratulate, applaud, salute, honor, take your hat off to. While we were still sinners, he commended victoriously, rejoicingly, his love to you and I. He loved us with an everlasting love. So stop doubting and start trusting. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. There's nothing in us able to do it only the power and the love of Jesus Christ. And he is going to spell this out in chapters 13 through 17 exactly what he means. So get ready for a love story where Jesus is at the center and you are the recipient. Let me say that again. Get ready for a love story where Jesus is at the center and you, write your name in, are the recipient. Chapters 13 through 17 are going to lay down a plan for your life so clear and so focused and so passionate that if you will yield to the Spirit, your life will never be the same. I guarantee it. Trust Him and see what He's going to do. And then finally, His love is everlasting. His love is everlasting. The first verse of chapter 13 made this very clear to us because it says he loved them to the end. Listen to me. Once you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, his love is inescapable. Let me just put it that way. Once you have taken him as your Savior, his love is inescapable, and he'll never let you go. He he may let the rope hang out a little bit for you to learn some things in life, But his love is inescapable. Romans 8, verses 38 through 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, 
nor powers, no height, nor depth, nor anything else will in, in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You accept him, you're his for eternity. What will it do to transform your life? I hate the idea of thinking that you'll just leave this morning and just get busy and forget about it. Because what chapters 13 and 14 or through 17 are going to offer to you are the keys to a surrendered life. And he will work mighty things in your life. Are you ready to let him have it? Are you ready to let him take you to a life you never dreamed possible? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the amazing power of your word. And Lord, I'm so excited about the weeks to come and how you are going to give us such very specific truths, how you are going to show your amazing love and how I know it will transform us. I just want to take a moment while every head is bowed and every eye is closed. If you're here this morning and you have a desire to let Jesus take your whole life, I'm not going to call anybody out or embarrass anybody, but if you would like prayer in that area, would you just slip your hand up wherever you are? Just slip it up. We'll pray. Amen. God, amen. Praise God. Thank you. Amen. Father, you've seen these hands that have been raised. You know the deep desires of their heart. To live a totally surrendered life has such joy and fulfillment can do such amazing things in our hearts and lives. And I pray for these ones who have raised their hands now, that you would do a special work in their hearts, drawing them close to you, uplifting them, empowering them. Satan will try to take it away and temptations in their own flesh might get in the way, but just keep reminding them, Lord, just keep reminding them that your spirit is in control and that you have a life promise for them that is beyond anything they could ask or think. Do the work in their hearts, Lord. And Father, I also want to pray that if there are any here this morning who have never trusted you, they're hearing these words, but they know that you're not their Savior. I pray that they would not leave today without seeking me out or someone that can show them the plan of salvation and how they can be assured that they're part of that great love gift. Thank you, Lord. Protect us this day. Bring us back safely tonight for our Bible studies and, and our WANA program and all the workers. Bless them, Father. And we'll just rejoice in your name, in Christ's name. Amen.